0: Good evening and welcome to The Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. This is a very different, very special interview we're going to be doing tonight. I want to start off by reading just a little snippet from this wonderful book. Everything can be taken from a man or woman except for one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. I was at a fork in the road. Would I turn left or right? I decided to choose my own way. I went straight ahead. And that is exactly what Carter Lee did. I mean, his story is just amazing. His book, When um, Jonathan Cried for Me, brought tears to my eyes. I mean, it literally brought tears to my eyes. It sent chills down my spine. And it is written so well, and he is so open and honest that he shares with us the unthinkable and the aftermath that, that followed. And he really just shows how the mind can be shaped and how the soul can be unbroken. Uh, You know, and for me, the questions are, how can a young child experiencing such unthinkable trauma overcome it? And, you know, it's a matter of resiliency. What makes one person able to overcome horrific events and find hope and inner peace, which is really um, the, the focus of this book, while others get devoured by the pain? So tonight we have Carter Lee. Carter, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Marianne. It's a pleasure.
0: You know, as we were just talking before we went on, I am so impressed with this book. It is so well written and it is literally gripping. I mean, it is it is amazing. Um, so really, congratulations to you. Um, well, you know, I you. think really the only place for us to start is from the beginning, um, which would be when this abuse started. And you were very, very young, right?
1: I was. I was around four years old.
0: So, you know, tell us um, as much as you would like um, about what you endured, um, you know, by whom, and, um, you know, how this unfolded.
1: Well, it started, it was by my next-door neighbor, my direct, immediate next-door neighbor. And as many of these uh, child predators are, he was very sly. It's not like I went over there the first day and and he sexually abused or molested me. We had a, what I remember being a normal relationship at first, <clears throat> where you know he would babysit me, or I would go over there just for fun, and we would watch you know movies, and he s- started slowly progressing the movies, where it went from you know something suitable for a child to then really pushing the envelope to strong PG-13 type movies. And then he started showing me R-rated movies as the weeks moved on and the months moved on. And the R-rated movies were definitely heavy in content, uh, sexual content and violence. They would either be horror movies like Halloween or The Shining, uh, or they would be you know, sexually provocative movies like Porky's, which was, you know, when I was a kid, that was kind of that generation's version of American Pie. So you know, mm-hmm. lots of movies filled with violence and nudity and then from Um, there
0: I just want to say if you could just I mean you were very young Um, from your memory you were four when this started and this abuser was not a grown man which most people would think this was a teenager
1: right he was where when I was going through kind of the timeline when I finally sought help for this through a a psychiatrist at the age of 30 we're putting him probably somewhere around 15 years old when this started and up until he was 18 or so, when I finally moved and got away from it.
0: And, you know, the, the as you said, this was a progression. Um, and, you know, it's, it's more detailed in the book. Um, but, you know, for me, as I was reading it, I was thinking, my God, you were so young. I mean, how could you possibly have known what was right or wrong? Do you remember at all? Um, I mean, you must have had fear.
1: Well, when after he would show me these movies, he progressed it to pornography. And he wouldn't do anything at first when he would show me the triple XXX uh, pornography. We would just watch it. And he would tell me this is what real men do and this is what real adults do. And so at first, you know, I, I, I'm, I only remember so much, but I, I definitely remember being shocked by it but I also felt like I was part of something special, you know, oh, this is something real men do. So I, I felt right. like I was part of a special club. And then as the time progressed, you know, he started pleasuring himself in front of me during these um, pornographic images and movies. And then it, it progressed to where he was having me do sexual acts on him and, and sometimes on me, but primarily he would have me do things to him. And it, it, it's, I think it was towards that moment that I realized, you know, something's not right here, but at that point I definitely was, you know, was feeling the side effects of, of the fear, as you mentioned. And I was just petrified, you know, part of the side effects. I was very uh, quiet and shy and I had a very overactive imagination. Every child has a strong imagination, which we love and adore in our children. But mine was just, it was a whole new world when i would use my imagination right. i i was literally put into whatever i was imagining and now i can look back at that and realize it was an escape tool
0: right and you know he was he like you said even for a a, a teenager he was very clever i mean he gained your trust
1: right exactly and i'm not sure You know, I I don't know this man today, of course. I don't know if, if, you know, I I was the first one he did it to. I've searched for him on the Internet and found that he's a registered sex offender, and he has done this since. So I don't know if it was a mixture of him being sly or just at that time. If I was the first one he did this to, just his obsession progressing through the weeks, months, and and through the years.
0: right. And you um, did not tell your parents. You never really told anyone.
1: I didn't. I At the time, I know I wasn't saying anything, uh, you know, when he wasn't doing physical things to me or having me do it to him because I felt part of, like, the special kind of group or club. I felt like, you know, oh, cool, he's showing me what adults do. And then when we moved from – this happened to California in a very small town in the Mojave Desert called Ridgecrest. We moved from Ridgecrest to Bakersfield, California when I was eight, and at that time, my mind had blocked it out. And if it hadn't, I probably would have said something. The only reasoning I can think of that I didn't say anything, even when I realized that this was wrong – was because of fear i'm not sure because i've locked it out for so many years i'm still putting pieces together to this day but i I can only assume that i was um maybe even ashamed or felt like i had done something wrong where i you know for the reason that i didn't speak out
0: and you know you you were showing some signs you you became withdrawn um people consider you to be shy um, you said your your imagination was very vivid, and in the book, you really do talk about how it was vivid, but it was really a frightening vivid um was the take that I got from it um you know, obviously, you're a very creative man, but um, you know the the visions that I saw you had really just were very disturbing um so do you think that there were signs that people missed adults in your life missed?
1: Oh, absolutely, I mean that's one of the things I'm trying to do now with my career is just raise awareness of what to look for because You know, it's not abnormal to have a a youngster who is shy or with an active imagination. So, you know, I don't want every parent to think, oh, my God, my child is shy and has an imagination. But, you know, I would really, there was other things that if I was, that I would do behind closed doors in my own bedroom, I would reenact a lot of these scenes on, you know, my toys and stuff where if I was observed, I think that it would have been more obvious. Um, But, you know parents don't often just check in with their child who's playing alone by themselves in their bedroom but there was definitely some other signs that if i was you know caught doing if you will that i think it would have been obvious that there was something wrong like something's not right here but it's you know everyone thought i was shy where really i was just completely scared and petrified to do yeah, anything I with this. You said
0: you were, you were just scared shitless as you say in the book, you know, <laughs> exactly. and everybody just thought you were shy, you know. Um, But, but I think the thing that, that parents miss sometimes is that, you know, we feel that we have these close relationships with our children and that, you know, our children would come to us and um I, I did um an interview with um Dr. Jerry Whiteman and you know what we were saying is you have to be really honest you know you had asked me how honest uh, and open you can be in the conversation and i said as open as you possibly can because that's how parents have to speak to their kids um you know and you said that you you had a close relationship with your father so so the relationship really doesn't um matter as far as whether a child will tell do you think that's true
1: Yes, I do. I I think that, I mean, it's painting with a broad brush, but overall, I do think that's true. I I was close with both of my parents, and we still am to this day. And and they've been nothing but supportive. And of course, they were shocked when I had to tell them about this. But, you know, it's, I think people who are not aware Of what's happening in our society today you know one out of every four girls are sexually abused and one out of every six boys and so many people are not aware of this and they think well i have a great relationship with my child they open up to me you know nothing could be wrong and that's not always the case i think it's up to the parents to look a little bit deeper
0: Right, and i think you know parents you know i don't know I, my my family was never big on sleepovers but you know I I don't allow my daughters to sleep over um their friends houses if they have older brothers. And you know it's it's they could be great kids but you know you hear so much that it, that's when it really starts in the teen years people think that it's you know the strange guy down the block and that isn't always the case.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean I remember, you know, most people in the neighborhood uh had a good relationship with my next door neighbor and including my family and my older brother had a good relationship with him. And he seemed like a good kid. You know, they're not always the villain with the curly black mustache and the wearing black, you know, they blend in so well. And it's, you know, they hide this part of them, obviously, and when they, and they're very sly. Like, I was never told by him, never tell, you know, anyone or I'll kill you really? or hurt you or your parents. He you never threatened me. And oh, wow. I've talked okay. to so many people since I've written this book and started the business that I own that were also, you know, sexually abused as children. And they said that they're predators uh did the same thing or didn't do the same thing in this case. You know, they they never gave him a threat. And I think if he had threatened me, I would have told someone. That
0: right. yeah, would have been a red flag such, for you, right? right? Right,
1: exactly. And because it was such, you know, he built this up through uh, many weeks and months. I, I don't know how long it was from the moment he started watching me to the moment he started sexually abusing me. Mm-hmm. But it, it took time, and so there was this just tr- natural trust built up. And I think that's really what he was going on. It's like me feeling like I was part of something special about wanting to ruin that.
0: I mean, your parents must have been devastated. I mean, literally, I had chills down my spine, literally, yeah. when I was reading this. Um, they must have been devastated when you told them.
1: They were, and it was very tough for me to do because when I told them, you know, this is just about six months or so that I, I told them this, I had already dealt and gone through therapy and my own transformation and you know, the research on the brain and, and I had kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, fixed myself already. Mm-hmm. So for me, it wasn't about sharing with them, to get comfort or anything like that. I was sharing with them because I felt like this was my calling in life and they had to be aware uh, of it beforehand. Obviously I wasn't going to let them right. find out by reading my book. And it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do in my life was to tell uh, my mom, step mom and my dad, you know, I, I sexually abused. It took me a couple of days to even think about how to phrase it.
0: Okay. Well, this, this, the abuse happened in the eighties. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago um where you know you would have think somebody would have caught this but we're going to jump a little bit further because very early on in the book you start um with just a chilling account of um you sitting in your home with a gun to your head um just not being able to go on you just aren't going to be able to handle the pain anymore your life is unraveling before you your uh, your wife had left Um, you know, it was, you could really feel the pain. And this, you know, you hear this before you even hear of the story of what happened. Um, You know, do you think that everybody just comes to that point, you know, and that that's where they can get help? Because, you know, you, you had suppressed all of this for such a long time. I was really surprised by how many decades you had suppressed this for.
1: Right, yeah. I remember the the first time I had a flashback of this incident at all is when I was around 23 or 24. And, you know, I was doing pro wrestling at the time, and I, I was just not in a position in my life. I didn't have a good self-esteem or self-confidence. A lot of times people thought I did just because of my persona as the pro wrestler guy. It kind of leaked out in, into the real world, so I, you know, had people fooled. But inside, I just I didn't feel good about myself. I felt very shitty and didn't feel like I was a lovable person. So when I remembered this, what can I do about it? You know, and that was in this is now kind of thing, but it doesn't go away. You know, it was Herbert Ward who said, uh, child abuse casts a shadow the length of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's I had anger issues for most of my life, and that didn't just stem from my childhood. I was also, you know, bullied throughout high school and intermediate school and made fun of and ridiculed. So all of this kind of added up to just being a very depressed, angry individual. And I think often it does take some sort of rock bottom of a world crashing around us to make a decision, you know, how are we going to go on living? I mean, when life is just okay, not everyone feels the need to make it better. And some people just don't think it can get better. Or You know, well, I'm pretty happy and that's good enough. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, I would value. be attractive. If I was dating somebody nice, I must be nice. I could never validate myself. So when my now ex-wife left me and took my stepson with her, you know, her son with her, that was because I had made them my world, which is a very unhealthy thing to make anybody or anything your sole world. You know, my world uh, crashed around me. I had nothing and I had become a very abusive person and I just didn't like who I was. So I, I was definitely, you know, at the end of my rope, uh, and I, I was planning on committing suicide. And it was at that moment that I thought, you know, maybe there's a chance I could still see my do it. In a
0: you know, I have to be happy. Carter, we I, keep, I, I keep, I we do keep do losing it. you on and off. Um, What's that? I said we keep losing you on and off. I don't know if you're on a cell or um, so. Um, not much we can do about that. Okay, you know, uh, one thing, a thought that was just going through my head as you were talking about your teenage years, um, and were you bullied because you were so painfully shy out of fear? Um, did you have any doubts about your sexuality? I mean, how did it affect you as a teenager?
1: You know, I, I never had doubts of my sexuality. I was always very uh, attracted to women, and it definitely affected me sexually throughout my whole life. I, I mean, there wasn't, a, there hasn't, there's, I don't have any memory of not, you know, being sexually attracted to women. Um, when I was, you know, far too young to be having sexual thoughts, I was definitely having them, but it always right. pertained towards women.
0: Right. Okay. Um, you know, what surprised me was that you know, not only didn't you tell your parents, but you hadn't told your wife. And you said that anger um was a big problem you weren't um you know physically abusive to your wife, but you said that you were emotionally or verbal, verbally abusive um you know and and one thing that you say several times in the book is that you should have been a monster mhm um you know I forget the exact wording but um you know how did you how did what what did your wife think this anger was from if you never told her? There
1: was, at at one point I, I did end up telling her, but it was uh, very brief. It wasn't anything I was really willing to share a lot of details about or dwell on, and I just didn't want it to be a focal point in my marriage. And I, I really hadn't told anyone. I, I was angry through most of my life, and, you know, no one has a perfect childhood, and there was anger in my household growing up. Nothing too extreme, just, you know, I mean, my parents are divorced now for a reason and Mm -hmm. there was anger there. And I also, my escape of all of this abuse at the time and and through all of my life, pardon me, was uh, professional wrestling. So, you know, I I would... uh, when I was home or, or whatnot, I would be watching professional wrestling and it, I definitely had an overactive side of the r- right part of my brain. So when I had anger issues, I just kind of attributed it to, you know, watching wrestling my whole life and being bullied and being beaten up in school and being made fun of by my peers.
0: You know, that in
1: itself is enough to make an angry individual, oh, yeah, much less, fine. you know, child sex you. So it wasn't, you know, kind of out of the ordinary. It's not like I had this... Awesome social life throughout high school, and I was a popular kid and and you know and, and I, the the star jock or anything, and you know where I had a question like, well, where does this anger come from? you know there was enough for me to be pissed off at at any point in my life that I could just attribute it to that
0: right, but you reinvented your psyche as you and you have a chapter dedicated to that in the book um and when these memories started to unfold, they really came flooding back um so when you look back now. How does the mind or how did your mind protect yourself from the trauma? I know you said you used imagination, but, you know, it's, it, my, my daughter just had to write um, an essay on The Child Called It. Mm. And when she had to write it, you know, she said to me, well, you know, what would you write about? And I said, well, I, I would write about, you know, resilience. Like how can one person go through such horrific abuse and come out whole and another person just be eaten up by it. You know, wh- what is it about the mind or about a person that can make one person survive and another person not?
1: I, I think a lot of that has to do with so many people don't realize how empowered we are as individuals. You know, throughout life, where we're depending how we're raised, but I, I personally believe that society helps raise us to believe that we're not whole. And that we need outside sources to complete us. You know, we need a church or we need some sort of, you know, (laughs) guru or something out there to complete us. We're in reality, in, in my opinion, what I have found out to be very true. We have everything inside of us that we need to change and to reinvent our psyche. It's just plugging into that. And when, you know, people are raised one way to believe, you know, you're born a horrible person and you need God to save you from your sinful life or you're going to burn in hell or you know what have you it's not a good blueprint for uh, later on as an adult to believe that you have the power to reinvent yourself and to really become a whole complete happy person and you know that's really the mission i set out on when i threw the shotgun out of my mouth and i decided to live you know I, i was tired of feeling like i was second best or just i couldn't you know, uh, become this person without some sort of supernatural thing happening where in reality you can, anyone in my opinion can do it if you work hard enough to achieve this.
0: Right, and you write about it very well when you write on one of the chapters Redefining Self-Esteem, because that's really what it came down to. Um, You know, so, so really you then went on this road to inner peace and you know it really is you know i mean you you call it inner peace and that's really what it, it is for you so um why don't you tell us how you got there i know you used neuro <laughs> programming um and a few other things but um you know i guess finding the right doctor um also must have been wonderful for you but um you know what what was what were the things you needed to do to become whole it, it was and mean my In my journey, what
1: I realized was in order to have, you know, and and you're completely right, what we're talking about here is inner peace. In order to have inner peace, you have to have a very healthy self-esteem. You have to have true self-confidence, and you have to accept. And those uh, three things are huge life challenges for many people. You know, I dare say most people. People often uh, throughout their lifetime, you know, are in constant conflict with their self-esteem. You know, they're... throughout the day and many people lack self-confidence and when I say accept you know it's easy to accept the good things about our personality and some negative things but it's so common to push back the real negative things about our personality you know to the back of our mind and not dwell on them but by doing that you're not truly accepting who you are and one of you know the toughest things I had to do is just admit what I had become throughout a lifetime, you know, and no one likes to admit that they've become abusive, you know, whether it be physical or or verbally abusive. And no one likes to admit that they're a negative, angry person, but I had to admit that in order to move forward.
0: And what really
1: helped my life, and completely changed me with studying the brain you know the brain is the number one supercomputer that we will ever own and yet the average person doesn't take any time to study the brain so i studied the four areas of the brain that really affect us physiologically you know and emotionally and I studied neuro-linguistic programming. And, you know, if you do a, a quick Google search on NLP, on the first page you often find stuff about, like, pickup artists and all this diatribe on dating. You know, skip that to the second or third page and you'll find really great resources for NLP, which really helps you plug in to the brain on how it works with the neural net and how to reprogram that and not in a brainwashing way but in a very positive way, and also what helped me with studying quantum mechanics uh, to learn how you know science, how science uh, explains how energy works and you know also how our brain works so it was really all of those areas, along with many mindsets that I studied, like Dr. Victor Frankl and einstein and you know and and my dad he's a hero to me, and I just love really you know every time I talk to him i'm I'm studying his mindset and you know it was a culmination of all of these things that ended up you know being the map of success I used for becoming a healthy person and for gaining inner peace
0: yeah, because you know i we I often speak and i do um interviews on neuroplasticity and how the brain can change. Um, so trauma that affects the brain, affects um, the neurotransmitters, you know, the limbic system, I mean, these can all be changed. So, you know, a child of abuse who grows older and has, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, there's there's always hope. Um, and that's really what you give in this book is you just give so much hope. And what I really like is when you talk about rejecting fear and perfect vision. So why don't you tell, end off by telling us a little bit about that?
1: And uh, and thank you again for your kind words. It's You know, fear uh, will paralyze us from going for things in our life, whether it be a career, searching for inner peace, a romance, a new friendship, and, you know, our hopes and dreams. And you fear is really the number one roadblock from anything, and fear comes in many forms. And this is the reason why people hate change. They hate change because they're afraid of the unknown. And I think somewhere in there I say, you know, we have to embrace the Unknown and change because that 's where success lies. You know anything good that has ever happened in your life happened because of change you know change doesn 't always mean good, but if anything positive has ever happened, whether it be the love of your life, you know gaining inner peace, getting the dream job, that happened because of change and I really think we need to shift our paradigm and what we 're looking at as a society to the point where we're embracing change and we're embracing the unknown. You know, our brain is, as you probably know, Marianne, you know, is based on patterns and we love Mm -hmm. to face a circumstance where the brain and the frontal lobe specifically can relate. Go into the unknown. Because of change, whatever that unknown may be, the brain has a tendency to kind of freak out because it doesn't have anything you can relate it to from the past. And that's usually where people will stop their transformation or stop their positive growth because it is, you know, it can be, I should say, a very scary uh, circumstance. but. Right. I encourage people to seek change and to seek the unknown and to really go into the unknown and that's, it becomes, it goes from being something that can just completely petrify you to being such a liberating experience where you overcome these fears and once you do this, you know you realize you're reinventing yourself you're learning new things you have new situations and you're really feeling empowered I mean, I I felt so empowered when I started studying the brain and taking my life in in my own hands and putting me in the driver's seat rather than just running on automatic every day like most of us do in this society and you know once you overcome a couple fears you look forward to the next one to overcome
0: right and your vision um, as you say early in the book um you know it, it's you 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 never thought you were going to have the goal, a goal um you were just sort of surviving through life um and and you know that's really you know how I want to end with where you are now and um you know how you've gotten to your purpose i mean you found your meaning yeah, you know,
1: I, I never thought I'd be in this position. I, I really didn't. I mean, if five years ago you would have told me, "Oh, just to let you know, you'll own your own company, and you're going to write a book, and and be a columnist for the Washington Times communities, and and you know, all of these great things," I feel very fortunate to be a part of. I I think I would have laughed hysterically. You know, asked you what you were smoking, and to pass it to me. I mean, I never thought I could be this guy. And, Have. And it, it's something that I don't take for granted. That I, I think um the, that I'm very thankful for every day, and, and the overwhelming support I've gotten. And all I can do is encourage others to do the same. You know, if and I've partnered with Stop the Silence, uh, Stop Child Sex Abuse, a tremendous nonprofit organization, and their their, their assistance with uh, my business and just helping spread the word has been overwhelming, and. You know, it's one of those things that when I started off on this journey of wanting to reprogram my mind and feel good about myself and get, you know, total self-confidence and true self-esteem, I didn't think it was going to end up being something that was a life calling for me. But mm-hmm. I, I I would have been happy if I just didn't feel shitty uh, on a daily basis. You know, I never yeah. thought I could get to this level of self
0: Right, because I think that's what happens to a lot of people that are suffering have to like do this, it. Um, and teens and kids. And you know, the show is for special needs, and people may be saying, "Well, does this have to do with special needs?" Everything, it really does, because it's the resilience of the brain and the resilience of the soul. Um, but you know, also, Jonathan gets you through. <laughs> Absolutely, you got to read the book, folks. <laughs> Jonathan gets him through. Absolutely. i'm gonna leave it i'm gonna leave that there um tell us where everyone can get the book right now' because this it's is, available. This is a new
1: book it is it came out mid december it's available at a number of online online retailers right now it's an ebook the paperback or the hardback I should say should be out in the next month or two. I prefer people going to WhenJonathanCriedForMe.com to purchase it. Reason being is no matter where you purchase it, a portion of the proceeds will go to stop the silence. But when it's purchased directly from WhenJonathanCriedForMe.com, a larger percentage of proceeds can go to that tremendous organization. And also on that website, you'll be able to see everything about me. I mean, every media. It's a great website, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that.
0: Well, Carter, I really appreciate you doing this. I mean, I I think this was very healing for you, um, writing this book, Um, and you're going to heal a lot of people because there are a lot of adults out there who just are still blocking it, and they're unhappy, and, um, you know, you're an inspiration. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. you there jonathan
1: uh, sorry yes i uh, for some reason the connection yeah we're fading
0: off. in and out but um you know that i i re- really appreciate you joining us it's a fantastic book and yet believe me it's the type of book that you're not going to be able to put it down um thank you again i really appreciate it and um, best of luck to you
1: thank you Marianne. it's been a true pleasure and I, I really support what you're doing i think your show is tremendous and you really help people as well and, and it's been an honor to be on thank you so much
0: Thank you. We both found our purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Take take care, Carter. I want to just tell everyone that um, I am really excited. Wednesday night is the premiere of my new show, Inspiring Parents, where. As everyone knows, I respect the parents as um, experts, and I have found parents that are really going to inspire you, parents that um, are unraveling their children's disorders and finding the most incredible things. So that will be Wednesday nights at nine. Thank you for joining us as I andy show. you are your parent your child's best advocate, if not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Have a good night, everybody.